Let's pray. Father, our hearts have been taken from earth into the very throne room of God. We've been transported from this moment in history into the eternal dwelling place of the Messiah, the Creator. And we thank You, Father, that we have touched the face of God. We have felt the breath of God through music, through worship, through divine truth of Scripture set to music. Thank you for the gifting of a band that's orchestrated by the power of the Holy Spirit that is preciously contained in this building as you have called together and grouped together from the city and county and way beyond a church in Spartanburg that was on your mind before you even created the world. And that you knew that I would need it, and many in here would need it to lift us out of our depression, to free us and cleanse us from our addictions, to motivate us from our apathy, to reinvigorate us in our love and marriage, to re-inspire us in our parenting. Lord, to connect us to circumstances and people that would literally reshape our trajectory. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in your church. Oh God, we thank you for your church. Purchased by the blood of your Son. Preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now birthed by the providence of God in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We have tasted the goodness of the Lord. And we are starved for glory. And we have already been well fed. And we want more. So feed us through your word. And as we eat and drink in Christ... We pray for those around the world who likewise need to eat and drink of Christ. They have no food, barely clothed. Today may be their last day on earth. Hallelujah for them. But may you strengthen them so they can die well, they suffer well. Hold them. They're our brothers and sisters. We will worship with them forever. But they need your strength today. So as we worship here, we plead for them there, and we love them because they are part of your church. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For the next few weeks, and probably a lot more than that, as God wills, only as He wills, I want to journey with you some of the most exciting words in all of literature and certainly in the Scripture, and that is the rich words that are penned by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. There is no other book of the Bible that literally helps us see the grand purpose of God for history, as does the book of Ephesians, which is that purpose, the gathering together of all the nations 
under the reign of Jesus Christ in and through the church. This is the eternal purpose of God. Read the book of Ephesians, especially in chapter 1, which will take a long time, I would think, for us to get through. It paints a picture of a cosmic Christ who brings all of history to completion by descending from heaven to earth, shedding his blood for the sins of humanity, and then ascends to heaven where he is exalted over all authority and over all power, reigning over all the nations of the earth which he owns and yet which he is bringing together in perfect global unity in his church which we are told in that book was God's purpose from the beginning before there was one drop of water and one piece of dirt. The church, long before the world began, was God's place to bring about the unity of humanity under the reign of Christ, the church. So in Ephesians, we see the church compared to a lot of things, but all of these metaphors are simply different ways for God to show you how precious the church is to him as revealed in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, the church is called a commonwealth. It's called a new country because it's the only place where people of different political opinions, different ethnicities can come together and be perfectly united in mind and heart. The one country, the new country, is the church. The church is also compared in the book of Ephesians to a body. A body with many parts. Hands, arms, ears, eyes, tongue, feet. Many different functions, but coming together in one body to achieve one purpose. Can't get people together to do one thing in all of the world except in the church. In the book of Ephesians, the church is compared to a family where you've got husbands loving wives and wives honoring husbands and fathers speaking tenderly to children and children respecting parents all for the purpose of the unity of the one family. So everywhere from chapter 1 to chapter 6, the whole book is about the church of Jesus Christ and the unity that God says is possible in this world only through the church. And you seek to find unity in any other methodology, bringing the people together in dialogue in any other means will fail every other time God's means of bringing the nations together is possible only in the church. So when you read the book of Ephesians, you're reminded again in an anti-church generation, I don't need the church generation, I'm just going to live and do some little religious thing at home with my family generation. You see in the book of Ephesians how precious the church is to God. Anybody who says, like I have some friends that say, oh, 
you're into the box religion, which is an anti-church statement. I don't know really what they mean by that. Guilty, yeah, I love the church. I love people coming. I guess you call this a box. I call it a building. Gathering together people, yes, I love what God loves in the book of Ephesians. The nations, which is we're, we're simply a microcosm of that today. The nations coming together under the reign of God in the church. Anybody who says church is not important has simply ripped the book of Ephesians out of the New Testament. God loves the church more than He loves anything else on earth. My little party that I went to this week when I was going way down in my depression pit, I met a believer here had no idea of their story, husband and wife, but especially her story. I'd seen them, I'd interacted with them, but just didn't know how much energy the Holy Spirit had poured out to bring the nations together, to bring them here. She had been invited by our government Received an invitation in India. She's working on her PhD in chemistry there on nano particles. <laughs> She's teaching chemistry uh, and so she comes here, husband would come later. He gets his work permit. So she comes here, no husband, no car, no driver's license. So she just begins to teach her high school students here in South Carolina. And her heart is burning to find a church like she had in India. She's teaching in a high school about 20 miles from here. And somebody in that high school said, if you want to find a church that is by God's grace alive with the Holy Spirit, you need to go to Hope Point Church in Spartanburg. So she calls Uber on her phone. And so for her first few months here, she Ubers her way every Sunday to Spartanburg, to Toe Point, and Ubers her way home until she could buy a car and bring herself here. Because she understood that God loves the church more than anything else, and it is in the church that God, under the reign of Jesus Christ, is bringing all of the nations together to love one another and Love our Creator King. With that said, let's look at the opening verses of this great book, and probably that's all we'll have time to do is simply look at Paul's typical but very moving Pauline greeting, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, 
to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The greeting, fairly easy to divide, basically just two parts. It speaks of an apostolic author and a God-altered audience. So first we'll look at the apostolic author. Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle simply means one who is sent. If the word has ever been true of anybody, it's true of the apostle Paul. Oh, he certainly did not choose this title for himself. Never would he have appointed himself to leave his pursuit of becoming a Jewish rabbi and spend the rest of his life preaching to non-Jews to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ethnic peoples of the nations. Paul was sent by the king of the universe. He was an appointed messenger of God Almighty. Nothing boast in the transforming power of Jesus Christ as the word apostle. That he was a sent one by Christ. You know Paul's story. He was on a business trip from Jerusalem to Damascus, Syria. And right before he took the off-ramp into Damascus, filled like a wild animal who had tasted blood, ready to imprison and murder Christians, like a wild beast, he was confronted by the Lion of Judah himself, Jesus Christ. And with one sweep of his paw, the glory of God with shining light from heaven and a thunderous voice knocked Paul off of his horse. And there as he lay at that midday sun, midday days, his life was changed. And from that point on, Paul was sent to become a redeeming voice to the nations with the hope of the message of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells everybody as he writes in Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is why you need to listen to what I'm writing. When Paul writes to the people of Ephesus, in all honest disclosure, if you read the oldest manuscripts that we have of this letter, the oldest manuscripts do not say, Paul, an apostle of Christ, to the church at Ephesus. That word Ephesus is left out. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, and it's blank. And the reason why it was blank is because it was a circular letter. It it went to many churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So Paul Paul had a great relationship with Ephesus. He spent three years there, so when he penned this letter and wrote it, and it was read in the church at Ephesus, they would have loved his words, but it was sent to many, many places that had 
He had never visited it, had never, quote, won the right to speak. Now later, scribes wrote the word to Ephesus in here. Didn't change any of the meaning of the letter because I'm sure the people of Ephesus kept a copy and then they copied and sent it on as a circular letter should be distributed and that's how we get the book of Ephesians. But the important thing is the reason why Paul designated himself as an apostle to make sure for anybody else that got this circular letter, he's not waiting to win the right to be heard. He said, I have the right to be heard because I'm an apostle. I have the right to speak because I'm speaking for the king of the universe. I have the right to speak and you have the responsibility to listen. That's bold. And that's really what I have to say anytime I'm on this stage. Not because of anything. I already told you about my pity party this week. I'm nothing, but I'm sent by God. I'm taught by God. I have a right to speak because of Jesus. You have a responsibility to listen because I speak for the king of the universe. I'm a sent one, is what the Apostle Paul says in this letter. We must never allow a situation to keep us from speaking, a person that's intimidating us to prevent us from speaking. We have been sent by God, we have been taught by God, and we speak for God. Our words are of infinite importance because we speak for the king of the universe. So not only was Paul sent by God, but he was commanded by God. Paul, an apostle, sent by the will of God. It was important that he remembered, okay, the will of God, that's my fuel. The will of God has sent me. Because you see, Paul, for a long time, had been on the wrong path. He was a religious fanatic that had, for a long time, on the wrong path. Yet that did not stop God from redirecting the course of Paul's life and setting him on the right path. And therefore, the reason that Paul had the authority to go speak Words of truth is because it was the will of God that Paul be the one to speak. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul had been cleansed and commissioned, and now he would preach a gospel of hope from Jerusalem to Rome and through his writings to all the earth. The will of God, that's his license to preach. He didn't earn the right to preach. I haven't. He didn't feel. It didn't matter whether he felt like he. Like he feel like he had the authority to preach. I told Lisa last night, can't I just tell Hope Point? I don't feel like I should preach today. I told her that last night in my house. 
Can I just tell them one Sunday? I don't feel like I should preach today. She didn't even know I'm saying this. And she says, it doesn't, it's never about how you feel. It is the will of God that determines whether or not we speak. This is our license to speak the will of God. Doesn't matter if anybody approves of what I say, it's the will of God. It's important to note that when Paul is speaking and writing, remember he's doing all this while he's in prison. He's poor and he's imprisoned and yet he's still completely confident that he should be writing these letters. He wrote the beautiful letter of Ephesians when everything was working against him. Because he knew it was the will of God to write when all circumstances said, don't write. This man's vision of the will of God is crystal clear, and he was committed to every single thing that Jesus Christ had revealed to him. He was utterly free from everyone's opinion. He was free from his own opinions. He hungered to know and do the will of God. The will of God for Paul was like music to be played. God was the maestro. God was like a violinist. Paul was like a bow in God's hand. And whatever the maestro wanted to play was to be played. Paul hungered to know and do the will of God. So that's the author of the letter. Now let's look at the audience. To God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. To God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I think for you to get the flavor of this, I want to restate it in our vernacular, and then go back and look at the specific words of that. I think if you sort of get the mood of it, then you'll enjoy the specific words of, of this phrase. This is really what he's saying. So this is, that's the verse. This is my take, my paraphrase of it. To those who have been chosen to serve the good purposes of God in the culture where they live, to those who have been qualified to serve God because they believe in all that Jesus is and all that He has done. That's really the mood of, the, of what Paul is saying to the audience. To those who have been chosen to serve the good purposes of God in the culture where they live. To those who have been qualified to serve God because they have believed in all that Jesus is and all that He has done. So once you get the mood, then you can enjoy what Paul calls them to God's holy people. That's a big phrase. I'm going to look out today and say, good morning, holy people. You feel like that? 
Well, you should. That's what Paul called these converted pagans in Ephesus. Good morning, holy people. That phrase, some of your translations say, to the saints in Ephesus. Some of your translations will say, to the holy ones in Ephesus. Doesn't matter how it comes out, that would have driven Old Testament Jews crazy that Paul is is calling these pagans converted. Doesn't matter if they were converted or not. These Old Testament The Old Testament Jewish mindset would have said, you cannot use the precious word holy and you can't apply it to anybody no matter how converted they are. You just can't, no, you got to reserve the word holy for things like um, angels. Yeah, angels are, yeah, yeah, angels are holy because they're, um, they're, they're special. Yeah, yeah, you could call angels holy because they have special powers. Um, angels are holy. And they, angels were called holy in the Old Testament. And then, you, um, then in the Old Testament, there were other things that were called holy, like the gold cups in the tabernacle, the, the, the tent, the, the building in the, in the Old Testament where worship took place. The gold cups were called holy holy. And so the Jews of the Old Testament would say, let's reserve the use of the word holy to these things, these special things, and let's don't use the word holy. So here was Paul's thinking, but what makes an angel holy? It had been set apart. God had taken an angel from heaven and sent it to earth to go tell Mary, you could be pregnant, or God had taken this gold that was in the earth and shaped it, and now it was going to be filled with wine in the tabernacle, and this gold thing was now useful to God. So the only thing that made something holy is that God had claimed it and now was making it useful. Paul said, why can't I I say that word? Because what makes us holy is that God has claimed us. That's what makes you holy, not how you're doing. What makes you holy is that God has claimed you, set you apart, took you over here, and put you over here by His doing. That's what makes you holy is that He has set you apart for His purposes. I bet some of you have bought a new book before. As soon as you bought that book, you wrote your name in it. All of a sudden, it became your book then, didn't you? You wrote your name in that book. You do that with your Bible. I love it when when some of you leave your Bibles here and they end up at the church office. We just set it right on the window right when you come in the door. And we wait because you're going to come get it. So We just just watched Steve Ford. Last week, come get his Bible. Been sitting there for five years, and he finally (laughs) came and got it. But there was a day when Steve walked into a bookstore, 
looked at that Bible, picked it up, saw the notes. It's just what I want. If he would have been like me, he would have smelled it. Yep, I like the way this one smells. And he claimed it. It said, this is my Bible and my name is going on it. This is what it means that you're holy. There's a day when God sought you out and he put his name on you. And that's what makes you holy. Not how are you doing So God says, I have claimed you. I have written my name in your heart to God's holy people, God's claimed people in Ephesus. But, that's a, but that is an important title to bear. I'm claimed by God now. He's written his name. I'm God's book. I'm God's book. He's written his name in the cover somewhere. He's written his name in the cover belongs to God and therefore everything now changes about my life because I belong to God now I do the same thing that everybody else does in Ephesus in this is I go to work I go to school I go on vacations redecorate my house take my kids to sporting events go to concerts I do a lot of things that people do in Ephesus in Spartanburg but now I remember I am God's book. His name is on me. So I represent God in my city. So I do things differently than my sin-loving city. I do things differently than my sin-loving culture because I am owned by a holy, holy God. So God did the claiming. So what part did I do in this? Well, I did the believing that he wanted to claim me. To God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. A little bit unfortunate that we would see this because this does not really mean, it's not like you should not read this to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the reliable ones. And <laughs> it's not, it means the faithful means to the believing ones in Ephesus, to the trusting ones, to those who have believed, to those who have trusted. I have been claimed as I have believed, as I have trusted in Christ Jesus. Now this phrase, in Christ Jesus, we're going to see this all the time in the book of Ephesians. Dozens of times. It's used 150 times in the New Testament. In Christ. If you read the New Testament, sometimes it says that we are reaching for Christ. Sometimes toward Christ. Sometimes we're walking with Christ. Sometimes we're building our life on Christ. But in Ephesians, everything is about in Christ. It's like a man who's running into a castle for safety, running across the moat, through the massive gates, where he is safe in Christ, protected from everything because he's in Christ. 
secure because he's in Christ. The impenetrable walls of Christ protect him eternally from all harm. So Paul is saying their belonging grew out of their believing. Your belonging grows out of your believing. Think about this. I bear the title that I am holy. I am holy <laughs> because I am a believing one. <sighs> Boy, does that take the pressure off, doesn't it? I am holy because I'm a believing one. Because I trust in everything in Christ. I trust in everything that Jesus has done for me. I trust in His life. I trust in His death. I trust in His resurrection. Let me just celebrate this before you today. One drop of His blood washes away 58 years of my sin. One drop of His blood makes me holy as He is holy. One drop of His blood will open the gates of heaven for me when I close my eyes in death. One drop of His blood makes me belong to Him. So because He died to make me holy, I value His holiness more than anything in the universe. Nothing is more valuable than His holiness. Nothing is more honorable than His holiness because He did everything to make me holy. When I live in Ephesus, when I live in Spartanburg, I will pursue holiness. You think, you gotta, you think it's hard to live for, for Jesus in, um, in Spartanburg? You try living for Jesus in Ephesus. 250,000 idol-loving pagans. The temple of... The temple of Diana was in the middle of the city. 250, a quarter of a million people, fascinated, gave all their allegiance to a temple. Listen, when you magnify lostness, spiritual depravity with idolatry, which we see so often when we travel overseas in South Asia, when you when you magnify lostness, when you magnify, magnify sinful depravity with the worship of idolatry in temples, the darkness of that city becomes almost unquenchable. And it was in Ephesus. And we'll talk about more about that in weeks to come. But they idolized wealth. They idolized luxury. They idolized comfort. They idolized immorality. Ephesus was a port city. When sailors got off the boat, there were signs that directed them to where they could find prostitutes. As soon as they got off the ships, all over the city. And Paul said to the believers, you are holy. And you are to live differently than everyone else in this city lives. And finally, we'll conclude with Paul's greeting, the end of his greeting in chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So easy to gloss over these words when you begin a book, isn't it? When Paul's right, grace and peace. Grace, charis, always used by the Apostle Paul to speak of the kindness of God that he did for you what you could not do for yourself. Every time you see the word grace, think of the kindness of God when I could not measure up to his standards. God in his kindness did everything for me so that I would be qualified and he enabled me to measure up when I could not measure up myself. That's in the word grace. Whenever Paul says grace to you, he said, God, in his kindness, has caused you to measure up to all of his standards. Grace. And from that bright, shining sea of grace flows peace. Like an ocean of grace and now a river of peace. Peace is sort of the cousin of grace. God saying, I will no longer Hold your sin against you. You and I are at peace. (laughs) And this is just the way he greets people. God has given you everything you need to measure up, and I will no longer, God will no longer hold your sin against you. Grace and peace. And amen goes right there. (laughs) And let me just close with this. There's another way that you could look at grace and peace, and I want to close the message. Grace and peace could be a combination of Eastern thought and Western thought. Western thought, grace, from the the, the Greek word I said, it, it comes from a word which means... Um, charis, but the larger word, the original word when people used to greet each other, chiron, is, is more of a hello, I, I, I rejoice to see you. That's, that's really, Paul, Paul, took char- Paul took grace to say what I just said it meant. But the secular term, chiron, is more of hello, hello. I just, it's great to see you. I rejoice to see you. So it's, I rejoice to see you. That's the Western way of greeting. It's great to see you. The Eastern way of greeting somebody would be shalom. Peace. I hope all is well with you. I hope there's no trouble in your life. I hope your life is stable. So you combine those together, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you really do have. I rejoice because God has so loved you that He sent Jesus Christ to bring you into the castle that in this hateful world, And this hostile world, 
that truly all is well. Shalom. Because Jesus has brought you into the castle. I want to close today with one minute and 36 second song. When I really found out this week and teaching through this, that really grace and peace means all is well. If you want to greet each other, grace and peace, all is well because of Christ. I just kept thinking about that, that song, that Christmas song, all is well. And so last night I just said, you know what, I'm not a dean, I'm not great at video, I'm not great at audio, but I just want, I heard a great rendition of an, of an audio version, a cappella version of All Is Well, and I just, I, we couldn't listen to all the song, and I, we couldn't watch the All Is movie, the whole movie of the nativity, just a minute and 36 seconds. So I want to show you the words you're going to hear, look at the words, then a minute and 36 seconds of songs, then we'll be done. This is the words you're going to hear in the song. Christ has come, go and tell that he is in the manger. All is well, grace and peace. All is well, lift up your voice and sing. Born is now Emmanuel. Born is our Lord and Savior. All is well. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for those who suffer the loss of life, the loss of job, the loss of hope. Christ has come to take us into the, into the castle. He shed his blood to take us into the castle. He lived a perfect life To give us his perfection so that you would not charge our sins against us. That he has lived the life that we did not live. 
and that you will not hold our sins against us because he has died for them. And you have simply asked us to believe and trust in all that he is and all that he has done. And thank you, God, that you have claimed us. You have sought us out in the city and the county, the state and the world. And you have assembled us into your church and we are, by your grace, the believing ones, the trusting ones, and you have made us holy. We have been set apart, God, by your hand. And you have written your name in us. And we are eternally secure in the castle because of Christ. We thank you that you came in a manger, but we thank you more than ever that now you are ascended, cosmic Christ, reigning over all power, and we are coming home soon because of grace because of kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.